Good morning, everyone. Sorry, good afternoon. We was uh, low on numbers about 10 minutes ago, and now it's packed, making it even more scary. Oh, drink. Okay. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Ecclesia, um, God's people for God's glory. <clears throat> I've got um, one of those uh, Prendergast frog in the throat things that you get when you get nervous and it's time to preach. So my name is Mikey, Michael, Mick, Mikey P, and I'm um, one of the elders here. That may be a surprise to some of you. I'm the brother that every time we advertise evangelism, I'm the guy that leads the team out. I'm the guy for you fellas that post up. We're going out on Saturday on the uh, Kingdom Men's app, the one that everyone ignores. <laughs> they only reply when they've got something to do. <laughs> so, can I ask you a question? Can I ask you a question this morning? What do politicians, sports stars, pop stars, and celebrities all have in common? No, they're all constantly being hounded and being watched by the media. Everywhere they go, outside their houses, cameras are there, waiting for them to come out, waiting for them to put one foot wrong, and then bam, splashed all over the tabloids. Guess what? We too as Christians are constantly under scrutiny by the world on the job, by unbelievers in our families, by un unbelieving friends. The Bible teaches that there is a great spiritual conflict taking place on the earth. The conflict is between the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and the armies of Satan. How do we know that? Boom. Wow, it works. Ephesians 6. 11 and 12. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, and against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Paul refers to Satan as our adversary. As does Peter. First Peter 5.8 Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Let me explain what the battle is over. As believers in Christ, we have had something very precious committed to us, to our trust. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. How do we know that? 1 Thessalonians 2.4 says, But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please men, but to please God who tests the heart. 
This verse tells us that we have been commissioned to get the gospel out into the world. And Satan, our adversary, wants that news obliterated. He wants it suppressed. He doesn't want it getting out into this world. He doesn't want it getting to our families, our friends, to individuals on the job. He doesn't want it taken to the streets of Lewisham, to London, to England, or by missionaries to other countries. Why? Because the gospel is what releases people from Satan's slavery. Second Corinthians, it's up on the screen wall. Um, Second Corinthians 4.4 says, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now, with that understanding of the spiritual conflict that we're in, let's pray and get into today's message. Father, we thank you for an opportunity to come and gather around your word, Father God. I pray today, Lord, that your voice will speak, Father God. As it's spoken to me, Lord, that it would speak to others too, Lord. And Lord, we just lift up this message and pray that you would just be, um, give me the ability to do it, Lord. The ability to preach it, Father God. Help me not to bring too much of my uh, Saturday preaching into the message, Lord, or we'll just run away with it, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, and thank you for just this opportunity, Lord, to, to be up here, Lord. It's scary. It's no mean feat, Lord. But, Lord, with you, all things are possible. So, Lord, I just commit this day and this teaching before, to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're continuing in a series in the book of Philippians called Authentic Joy. And the title of today's message is Striving Together to Advance the Gospel. So turn with me on your phones, iPads, Bibles, um, whatever you've got with the message on it, to Philippians 1, and we're going to look at four verses, verses 27 to 30. Oh, I should have put that before. So that's the title of today's message and the series that we're in. Okay, so our verses for today, up on the screen. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not being frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that is from God. For it has been granted to you that to suffer for the sake of Christ, sorry, it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Let me remind you that Paul is writing this letter from, from prison. So let's look at um, verse 27, the first part of verse 27. This is a, a big verse. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. Oh boy. Um, if you was to read this in the Greek, it would read, only behave 
as citizens, citizens, citizens worthy, this is big. How do we know that? Because God keeps repeating it. I'm not going to put these verses up. I'm just going to quickly fly through them. Ephesians 4.1 Therefore, a prisoner of the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Colossians 1.10 So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. 1 Thessalonians 2, 11 and 12. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And finally, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1. Finally then, brothers, brethren, we ask and urge you to walk in the Lord Jesus. Sorry. That as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. And just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. You see, when God repeats himself, we need to pay attention. Repetition means importance. Apart from the Holy Spirit working in our lives, this is actually impossible. As Christians, we have at least two citizenships. One physical, I'm a citizen of England, British citizen. And the other is a citizenship which is in heaven. We need to be reminded that the only one that will count for anything is our citizenship in heaven. I love the way scripture here just sums up everything we are supposed to do in one simple concept. What we should do in all our countless different situations we find ourselves in as we live out our lives. Instead of burdening us with thousands of regulations, he motivates us with one single inspiring principle, worthy of the gospel. So what does it mean, sorry, so what does living up to the gospel look like? What does it mean to live a life, to live, sorry, to live life in a manner worthy of the gospel? We are to let our lives reflect what we claim to be. Our walk needs to match our talk. We seem to be good at this on Sundays in church or when we're in fellowship with other believers. But how about with your wife? How about with your husband? How about on the job? What about when no one's around? Would my manner, would my manner be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ if I was dogging out my wife in front of my family, shouting at my children? Fellas, do you find yourselves complaining about your wife to your work colleagues? Do you sometimes tell your friends what a dog your husband's been after a small disagreement? Now, I'm going to hot up my wife for a minute. So my wife has this family of squirrels coming around to the house every day. And she's not just feeding them with cheap old monkey nuts. She's feeding them with... Pecan nuts, walnuts, 
And I'm like, you're giving the squirrels gourmet food. <laughs> you're mean, you're tight, bish, bosh, bang. <laughs> What's a woman's favorite saying after a lover's tiff? What kind of Christian are you? Start quoting Bible verses. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. You know them ones. You was right, Rob. I should have ran this past the knees before I actually, uh, before I actually said them. Lover's tiff coming up. So are these things going to create a first in unbelievers? Or is it going to turn them off? Remember, the world is watching us. Let me share this with you. When I heard it, I thought it was quite powerful. The next time you want to complain about the food on your table, think about those that have no food. Now, ladies, this is not a license to cook egg and chips every night, microwave meals, and patties in the microwave. <laughs> Fellas. This is not a license for you to cook egg and chips and microwave meals. Yeah, fair's fair. When you're in your car and you're stuck in a traffic jam and you're in a rush to get somewhere that's five or six miles away, think about the person that has to walk those five or six miles. The next time you want to complain about your children, think about those that are desperate to have children but can't have them. Ladies, when you complain about your husband, think about those women that would love to have a husband. Fellas, every time you complain about your wife, think about the lonely man who has no wife to care for him, no one to love him, no one to comfort him. When you open up the fridge and there's no beers, no wine, no lemonade, Think about those that don't even have running water. If you're married, listen up. If you're about to get married, think about this. If you hope to get married someday, try and remember this. I'm going to share with you a Bible verse that's going to benefit you greatly. I got this from Pastor Rob a long time ago. Oh, good. Know this. My beloved brothers, brethren, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. I'm not quite there yet, but I'm working on it. Denise will be like, really? Yeah, right. Now, some of you ladies are thinking the same thing about your husbands. We also need to behave like citizens of heaven at work. We mustn't be gossips, slanderers, haters, moaners, unforgivers, forgivers, disrespectful, constantly turning up for work late, ducking and diving when the boss ain't about, pilferers or boss haters. Why? Watch this. Because it will hurt our witness to unbelievers. And we've all done some of those things at one time or another. Now, talking about witnessing to unbelievers. Would I be worth walking worthy in the manner of the gospel if I walked up to an unbeliever, drunk, 
with a can of tenant soup in my hand and a spliff in my mouth talking about repentance and trust in Jesus Christ for the remissions of sin. No. Don't get it twisted. I'm not talking about monkism. We're not monks. We're Christians. On the board. 1 Corinthians 10.23 All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let me explain. Now, it's okay for me to have a couple of beers. But it's not helpful for me to drink a crate of beers. Why? Because I'm going to be lean. It's lawful for me to watch a movie, but it's not helpful for me to watch films with constant swearing, blasphemy, blood and gore, and nudity. It's lawful for singles to go on a date, to go on dates. But it's not helpful to date an unbeliever. The Bible calls us not to be unequally yoked. Why? Because they will pull us away from the Lord. We'll start not regularly, regularly attending church. And before you know it, we've been rocked to sleep by the devil. And we can end up shipwrecking our faith. Um, university. You know, when a lot of people go to university, 90% of the people I talked that said, well, I used to be a Christian, but I'm not now. That change happened when they went into university. They stopped being Christians when they went into university. How about the, the, the music we listen to? Now, I, listen, I don't only listen to Christian music. I listen to all kinds of music. But same kind of story as Pastor Rob. I used to spend most of my Saturdays in the record shop. But when I got saved, there were certain records in my collection that I had to break into pieces. Why? Because they, because they, 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 because when my spiritual blindness had been lifted, the lyrics started to grieve my spirit. We really shouldn't be listening to music with profanity and that degrades women, that talks about shanking and all that kind of stuff. How about the things we post on so social media? This is another area where, our, um, where unbelieving followers, places like Twitter, unbelieving friends, places like um, Facebook, can be watching us. We need to be discerning. Now, we need to have the mindset is, is what I'm going to post now, how is it going to reflect what I claim to be? How can we effectively witness to unbelievers if we do not practice what we preach? Furthermore, how can a pattern of hypocrisy reflect the genuine faith in Christ that we claim to have? Now, we're not talking about perfection. We mess up. But that's where forgiveness comes in. That's where the cross comes in. Now, having said all that, we don't want to go to the other extreme and make people think that we're just weird. Talking all that spiritual jargon. Too blessed to be stressed. Someone asks you at work, how are you doing? I've got the anointing of the Lord. Just say I'm fine. When we do that, we don't come off as real people. 
They won't want to continue the conversation with us if, if every time they talk to us, we just rattle off a load of spiritual jargon. Just blessed by the, just best by the blessed. Just blessed by the best, sorry. They'll just think that they've got a fanatic on their hands. Yeah, I'm a fanatic for Jesus. See, we're not going to reach them. Let's just be real. Our speech should be gracious. So let's look at, um, look at the second part of Philippians 1.27. It's on the screen. So whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Notice what Paul says. I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side. One, standing firm in one spirit. And two, striving side by side. Put your hands up if you used to or you still play football. Anyone? No one. A couple of people. How about netball? Netballers? Yay. Cricket? Cricket? Basketball? Rugby. What do all these sports have in common? Who said teamwork? Yay. They're all team sports. They rely on teamwork. God's work is teamwork. As Pastor Rob mentioned earlier on, Family Fun Day, we saw that in effect. Now, there are certain things that only God can do. And yet God has chosen us to be part of his team. John 15, 16, the first part, Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Jesus had a team. He chose 12 men to assist him, the disciples. He sent 70 people out to spread the gospel. Paul operated within a team. Barnabas, who actually recruited Paul, Timothy, Titus, Aquila and Priscilla, and Luke the physician, to name but a few. We need to remember that Christianity is a team sport. First Corinthians 12, 4-7. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. In order for Ecclesia to function properly, we need to work as a team. We all need to play our part, and that's why more elders have been appointed. That's why deacons and council members are being appointed. This will equip us to strive to be a healthy church. We all need to play our part. Christianity is not just a spectator sport. Let me ask you this. Do you consider yourself to be part of the team? Think about the spiritual gifts that God has given to you. Do you only use them at work? 
for your, or for your own personal needs. Maybe you've hidden your gifts, the gifts of administration, of IT. Maybe you're a shrewd business person, a teacher. Maybe you have the gift of encouraging and exhorting, showing mercy to those that need it, giving, expertise in fundraising, serving. You see, it says, stand firm, sorry, firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side. Now, we see a picture of this being played out here at Ecclesia in Barley Lowe's, which is, again, Pastor Rob alluded to earlier, which is the, the church food distribution ministry. We stand firm in one spirit, with one mind. We strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. So we distribute food to the clients, but before we do that, we get them into the small hall, and what we do, we present a short gospel presentation. I can think of at least two clients that have become part of this church, and others visit us regularly. Why, why do they do that? Because we show them the love of God. Where do you see the love of God portrayed? In the gospel. So what is the gospel? And recently we've, we've recognized that, you know, there is a struggle to be able to, to, to well, a struggle in, in understanding what the gospel is in a complete sense. We know that many people struggle with, with the gospel. And many people will stay quiet because if someone asks them, you know, about what they believe, there may be a struggle to be able to share the gospel. So the gospel is never something you do to get saved. You don't get brownie points for showing up in church. Titus 3.5 He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Great verse for the Jehovah Witnesses. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your doing. It is the free gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. The gospel, being saved, being a Christian, is something that takes place apart from all human effort or merit. Religion says you must do A, B, C, D, and if you're good enough, then you may make it to heaven. The gospel says there is nothing we can do to make it to heaven. There is none good, no, not one. So what is the gospel of Jesus Christ? Let's go to the Bible and let God tell us what the gospel is. So even though the gospel is mentioned many times throughout the scriptures, there is only one place explicitly in the New Testament where the Bible says, this is the gospel and then spells it out clearly for us. Let's put that up there. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. It's on the screen. Now, I would remind you, brothers, brethren, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I received. And here we go that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, 
that he was buried in accordance with the scriptures. And that he raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. What does that mean? At a point in time, out of his love, God gave his only begotten son, that whoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It means God looked down upon this world and saw our desperate condition. It means that no human that ever lived was right, was in, sorry, no human that ever lived has a right standing with God apart from Jesus Christ. You see, God didn't love me because I was a good person, but in spite of me, in spite of me being a very, very bad person. The good news is that God sent his son to intervene in our sinful condition. Christ died on a cross as a sacrifice for our sin, and then he rose again, defeating death. That's the gospel. That's why the gospel is good news. You see, the point of what Paul is saying in verse 27 is that the church of Philippi was to strive together, working, according to, working with one accord to promote the faith of the gospel. The need, the, the need is not only for us to know the gospel and to come to Christ, but, it, it, but it's for this church to shine brightly in the community. That's why we have ministries like Barley Lowe's, TLG, that's why we took the church out of the building last week and brought it into the public. That's why we do outreach on two Saturdays of the month. Now, if your Christianity feels uninspiring, if it feels stale and flat, if you feel that your spiritual growth has hit a brick wall, come and join us. Try it. As Pastor Ephraim has said in the past, Evangelism is the great adventure of the Christian journey. Come and experience the authentic joy you'll receive after you've shared the gospel. Now, are we all called to be evangelists? No. Are we all called to evangelize? Yes. Jesus made the subject of his evangelism his last commandments to his disciples. So it must be important, right? Matthew 28, it's up on the screen, 18 to 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority, has on, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So why aren't we doing that? Why aren't we doing what Jesus called us to do? Here are some of our excuses. We're terrified to mention Jesus because of rejection. We have a desire for people to think well of us. The desire for self-preservation. If I was to offer you £100 for every time you shared your faith, would you be wealthy? Would you be wealthy? Yeah. 
So, here's some scripture that qualifies all of us that, that think we need to be theologians, pastors, Bible students, or evangelists in order to be able to share the gospel. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 29. For consider your calling, brothers, brethren. Doesn't exclude ladies. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God has chosen the foolish things in the world to shame the wise. God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is low and despised in the world, even things that are to bring to nothing, sorry, even, the, even things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. When we have that mindset, who gets all the glory? God does. Remember, we're God's people for God's glory. Amen? It's not our clever apologetics. It's not our clever arguments. It's not our clever what's the word? philosophical arguments. Sorry. No education. It's not our philosophical arguments. It's the gospel that saves. So, here is a short clip of a gospel presentation, just in case you're falling asleep. Now, watch the... I'm not sure how clear this is, because I filmed this on... You remember the Nokia's N7 phones? Great for filming back in the day, but not anymore. But I found this clip on there. Watch the girl on the right. Okay. What's your names? Jasmine. And Carly. And Carly. So you're spiritual people, yeah? Yeah. Okay. Now here's a spiritual question, yeah? Bit scary, but spiritual. Yeah. When you walk out of this life, yeah. okay, are you good enough to get to heaven? I are you believe, good people? I believe that. Believe how you are on earth. Yeah. Okay. I think life's I think some people okay. get trapped in the actual physical here. Yeah, I think some people are trapped on earth, some people go to heaven, some people go to hell. I think life is a test. Okay. If hell is a real place, would you want to know how to avoid it? I know how to avoid it. To stay out of trouble. Okay. To be good to okay. So are you a good person? I would class myself, yeah. Okay, you're a really good person, yeah? yeah. How about you? Are you a good person? I can be a good okay. person. Okay, now God's given us a standard by which he's going to judge us by. It's called the Ten Commandments. Yeah. Do you believe you kept the Ten Commandments? I believe I broke some of them, but okay. I also believe that he can forgive. Okay. Um, okay. That's when you go to church and give your sins. Have you ever told a lie before, madam? Yes, I have. What, would that, what about you? What would that make you? A sinner. A sinner. A bit more specific. A bit more specific. I'll say I'm breaking the two. Um, begins with L, rhymes with fire. All right, there you go. Have you ever taken something that doesn't belong to you in the whole of your life? Yeah. The value doesn't matter. Yeah. What would that make you? Now, this is going to get you, yeah? yeah? Jesus says if you look to lust after someone that's not your husband, you commit adultery in your heart. Have you ever looked at a, a, a member of the opposite sex with sexual desires? Lusting, lusting. Yeah. Uh, uh, any, anyone? No. Anyone that's not your husband? We don't have husbands. We huh? don't have husbands. 
so... No, okay, so unless you're married to a person, you can lust after, like I can lust after my wife, yeah. but outside of that, I can't look to lust after anyone. Okay. Once you're married, you are committed to that person. Okay, but have you ever looked at a boy with sexual desire? Yes. Okay. Now, have you ever taken God's name in, in vain? Yes, I have. Yeah? Yes. Okay, now listen to this, girls. You're not good people, you like me, and like him, and like the rest of us, yeah? By your own admissions, yeah? You're liars, thieves, blasphemers, and adulterers at heart. Now, the Bible says, appointed man, mankind wants to die after this judgment. When you die, you've got to stand before God in judgment. If God was to judge you by that standard, on the day of judgment, would you girls be innocent or guilty? If he had to send you to one or two places, would he let you into his heaven or would he have to send you to hell if you're guilty? Now, does that concern you? That if you die today, you'd end up in hell? Okay, do you know what God did for you so you wouldn't have to go to hell? He doesn't forgive everyone. Because then uh, murderers, do you think murderers should go to heaven? How about child molesters? Okay, what about thieves and liars? Check this. The Bible says that all liars will have their part in the lake of fire. No thief, no murderer, no adulterer can enter the kingdom of heaven. So if you guys die today, you'd end up in hell, yeah? Do you know what God did for you so that you wouldn't have to go to hell? This is the gospel, yeah? In God's eyes, you and I were criminals. We violated God's law, okay? 2,000 years ago, God became a man. He filled a man like a hand fills a glove. On that cross, he took the punishment for your sins, for my sins, for the sins of the world. What that means, ladies, is God can legally dismiss your case. You can walk out of God's courtroom on the day of judgment, not because of anything you can do by being good, cleaning your, clean up your act, stop doing what you're doing, which is wrong, but because of the suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But there's two things you have to do to be saved. The first thing is you have to repent, and the second thing is you have to put your faith and trust in Jesus like you would in a parachute to save you. The Bible says the minute you do that, God will forgive every sin you've ever committed he will commute your death sentence and he will grant you eternal life in heaven. Now, if you girls die today, you've got God's word that you would end up in hell. God doesn't want that to happen to you. Do you remember what the two things you have to do to be saved are? Repent, turn from your sin, and put your faith and trust in Jesus. Yeah? When are you girls going to do that? Now. You want to do that now? If I stop recording, do you want to pray to receive Jesus? Yes. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Now, I'm not saying that's the only way to share the gospel. Don't get me wrong. Sorry it was a bit rushed as well, but there was this little girl that kept trying to hurry him up and pull him along, so I was kind of, it looked like I was just talking too fast, but you see the example, and you see what the law does when it, has its, when it does its work with the girl on the right. You could see her face had changed, and I knew that they were ready for the gospel. Now, if, she was, if they were antagonistic and all that stuff, then you know what? They're not ready for the gospel. We need to dangle them, dangle them out the window with the law for a lot, while longer. So, we preach the gospel not trusting in our own ability. We don't actually save anyone. Did you know that? God saves people from their sin. So verse 28 on screen, Paul says, and not frightened in anything by our opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, 
but of your salvation and that from God. So when we share the gospel, Paul says, says that we will face opposition and not frightened of anything by our opponents. A guy I worked with, um, I remember I tried to give him a gospel track once, he, he won't have none of it. And, but later on, for some reason, he got really interested, started going to his church. And um, his wife started ridiculing him. You know, I didn't marry a churchy. Last week at the family fun day, you know, Pastor Rob said we, some of us had a few conversations. I had a conversation with a guy. And no matter what I said, don't believe that. To him, Jesus was just a nice carpenter. He didn't believe what any of the things that Jesus said in the gospel. He didn't believe that God is going to judge. He didn't believe that hell existed. He just decided that, you know what, it doesn't matter what you do, you're going to get away with it. What he had done, he had fashioned a God in his mind to suit himself. That was not the God of the Bible. on the board okay first corinthians 2 14 the natural person does not accept the things of the spirit for they are folly to him and he is unable to understand because of this because they are spiritually discerned first corinthians 1 18 the teaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are lost but to us who are being saved it is the power of god now, most people's questions will center around morality, science, and laws of logic. Now, I'm not going to discuss those arguments and how easily we can refute them. If you want to know about that and how to deal with the skeptic, I would encourage you to listen to a teaching that's on, online. It's called Believe Your Bible, A Presuppositional Defense of the Faith, and it can be found on ecclesia.sermon.net. So, second part of Philippians, the, the 28th verse. Um, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. Watch what Jesus said to the 12 disciples before he sent them out. In Matthew 10, 11 to 15. And whatever town or village you enter... Find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. So verse 29 and 30, and then we're going to hopefully finish off. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Paul really suffered for the gospel. On screen. 2 Corinthians 11, 24 to 27. Let's look at some of the things that Paul went through. 
as he went around preaching the gospel. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes minus one, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods, with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and night adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in turmoil and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Wow. Now, our unbelievable, our unbelieving family, people on the job, our unbelieving friends, they're not watching us when the sun's shining in our lives, when the birds are singing and everything's just fine and dandy. No. They want to see how real your Christianity is when you face difficulty, when you go through trials, when all hell breaks loose in your life. You know what? When they receive bad news, when they go through their trials, when they face a crisis, do you know who they're going to turn to? Turn to you for comfort, for guidance, for prayer. Why? Because they saw how you handled your trial. They saw how God kept you through your difficult time. And hopefully, through that, we may pray for an opportunity to point them towards Jesus. Why do I say that? Don't miss this. It will sometimes take a person to reach rock bottom in their lives. Realizing that this world has nothing to offer or go through serious health issues in order for them to be open to the gospel message. That's my story. God used an unbeliever to plant a seed in me. He then used Pastor Rob to water that seed. But ultimately, God brought the increase. What do you think the outcome would be if you walked up to someone that had just won the lottery and tried to share the gospel with them? Do you think there would be any chance of that person being open to the gospel? Not a chance. Jesus said, in this world you will have troubles. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Jesus said in, 40, in John 10.10, 10, The thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy. But I, but I, but I, sorry. But I came that I may, that you may have life more abundantly. Sorry, I messed that up a bit. But you get the point. That abundant life, as I said last week, it doesn't mean flash cars. It doesn't mean lots of money. It doesn't mean big houses and big salaries. He could give you those things. And if he has, praise God. It means that your life will be full. It may be full of drama. I'm currently going through a, through a busy season. But God has given me an abundance of his grace and carried me through it.
it will be full of things that glorify him and not us. If you speak to the pastors and the elders, people like Harriet, their lives are abundant and it's hard work. I remember sitting in Pastor Rob's house when I first got saved, enjoying the fruits of fellowship. You know that honeymoon period you go through as a Christian? I remember what he said to me. To whom much is given, much is required. You remember that, cuz? Now I understand exactly what he meant when he quoted that verse. In all that we do, let our service glorify the one who gave his life as a ransom for us. Let us remember that we were bought with a price. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So in conclusion, one of the greatest expressions of love should be to tell to tell people about the one who is the very center and foundation and goal of our lives, and that is Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you have never experienced authentic joy, the authentic joy that you receive from trusting in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we would love to introduce you to him. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your word, Father. Thank you for helping me as I stumbled through my message today, Lord. The nerves kind of got the better of me in places, Lord. And I just thank you, Lord, for just the opportunity to be up here, Lord. The opportunity to share, Father. Lord, your word says when it goes out, it will not come back void, Father God. So, Lord, we recognize that even if we just share a morsel of the gospel, it's not going to come back void. Let us be people for your glory and not our own. Thank you, Father, for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.